All right, so welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Uh, with me to help break down all 10 hours, well, maybe not all, <laughs> maybe not all 10 hours, of The Last Dance is uh, my friend uh, and uh, Substack teammate, Kelly Dwyer. I'm going to make that a thing. Is that a thing? We can all Yeah, that should be a thing. Teammates. Yeah. Um, Kelly's uh, e-newsletter is the second arrangement, so tsa.substack.com. And the mine is pointless exercise. And I've, this is how tech, technologically advanced I am. I finally got pointlessexercise.com to forward automatically to pointlessexercise.substack.com. So it makes it that much easier. There's that much less to type. I'm very excited about that. Nice. All right, so Kelly, I got to tell you, I, I waited all 10 hours, and I the one person I couldn't believe that they didn't interview in this was uh, Donna Summer. <laughs> I just, I thought, I'm going to watch the, I'm going to watch the Last Dance documentary, and they cut her out of it somehow. Uh, I mean, they've cut her out of history, but, you know, Disco came to an unflattering end due to, to the dual uh, oppression of racism and homophobia all at once. So yes, I was hoping she would get her, uh, you know, her little treat at the end of it. But no, it's such. It, they did. How about this? They did pick the one Pearl Jam song where I wouldn't have rolled my eyes. Any other Pearl Jam song, I would have been like lame. And I, I, I don't mind Pearl Jam. I'm fine with Pearl Jam. But like, they, they did win that one. But yeah, any Donna Summer is good. Oh my God, that entire Bad Girls album is just four sides of incredible music. And there's no, there's not even breaks in between the songs because everyone was on poppers back then. So it's just, it's like the Sergeant Pepper of disco. One disco leads into another. So yeah, I missed Donna Summer too. I, I guess maybe I shouldn't speak so soon. Uh, Stephen A is hosting a wrap up show tonight on ABC, and that could, that might be all Donna Summer. So I don't want to, <laughs> just in case, I could give. It might be the only thing that would make me want to watch it because I'm not going to watch that. The other thing is tomorrow. Well, I shouldn't say tonight, tomorrow, because this is a podcast. So that's Tuesday night. Wednesday night, ESPN is showing what they're calling the Game 6 film. And all it is, I mean, not all it is, but it's not a film. It's a 1998 version of HD, so it's film, uh, recording of Game 6, the final, that last game which should be kind of cool, but it's for people who think it's like this movie about the game, it's the game. And they just put, uh, Bob, Doug and Isaiah, they laid them over it. So, but it'll be, uh, that, there'll just be a lot more, interesting. Oh, there'll be a lot more pixels. That's, that's, I guess the only difference. Yeah. Watch your intake. I, yeah, people should be warned. This isn't good basketball. This is nineties basketball. And it's real fun as a little, uh, you know, something they show between the before the flashbacks and a documentary for a few seconds. But two and a half hours of it, there's a there's a lot of Adam Keefe, there's a lot of Luke Longley and available not <laughs> being the possessions. It's not just youngsters, those who may have forgotten. Just be careful. I'm sure it's fun to look at, but I mean, if if you're kind of I. There's so many good Bulls things but, that they could put on TV, and I guess that has the ring of the, you know, the, and Jordan was fine at it, but I, 
much rather see some stuff from 1992 when not everyone was 100 years old. <laughs> I'd like to see the Bulls when they weren't on their absolute last legs. And But, you know, it's not, it's not my documentary, Andy. Well, the person who should record it, though, is Chip Schaefer's mom because you're going to get a lot of Chip because – you Scotty waddles, waddles, <laughs> literally waddles off the court like five times, and Chip escorts him back and forth to the locker room. So he, it's a you get a lot of good Chip Schaefer. So if you're his mom or uh, maybe an uncle, set the DVR because you're gonna get a lot of Chip. Hey, who was that other Barry Weiss? Was that his name, or is that the name of someone else? But that assistant trainer that uh, was rather provocative in the last dance. He's he's like he he basically. On a, out of nowhere in the ringer a couple of years ago accused the Spurs of kind of tampering during the lockout, the most boring, basic version of tampering ever. He accused them of having their assistant coaches slash interns watch the Spurs during the 1998 NBA lockout, and that's why they won the title that year. And uh, that, that guy that guy definitely talks a lot. But, uh, yeah, him and his, uh, his uh, 1998 uh, goatee were uh, – Definitely involved. I'm glad that that guy with the yellow jacket kind of got muscled out of the big uh, M- uh, MJ crush at the end of game six. I did notice that looking at it. And I did notice that the last dance did not put in the really obvious shot that I thought would be in there of, of Steve Kerr going, you're bleeping and incre- unbelievable hmm. to Michael Jordan right after they won that. I thought that would be, ah, oh, look at Steve. He's one of the regular guys. He's, but they cut that out. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Not my documentary. We had a couple of random behind-the-scene Bulls white guys in the last episode. We had they had that trainer, but then you also had the the PR guy who had to sneak Dennis out. Yeah, and he apparently is like a co-founder of a PR firm that does little stuff for like the Big Ten. Whatever. He he immediately, you know, he's a PR guy, so he immediately grabbed his. He didn't even get 15 minutes. He got like seven and a half minutes of fame the next day, yesterday, doing interviews. But it's like, yeah, that's great. His, his plan, we got to sneak Dennis out of here. The plan was to go out a door that the media wasn't at. I mean, that's that's some high-level planning. I, that's where the media comes in. That's gate three and a half. Like, they went past the meet On the way out, you could see the little table where everyone checks in. <laughs> that's literally the... The media entrance and his idea was let's take him out <laughs> the media entrance, but let's go the other way. So, you know, that's the sort of big time planning that gets you Rutgers. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor. Yep. So in, I mean, we last did this after episode four, I think. So we're, this won't just be about nine and 10. But nine started uh, Sunday night with, um, I don't remember if I've always had this much disdain for Reggie Miller or if it's enhanced with him being constantly forced down my throat on TNT because I just don't think he's an interesting game analyst at all. Um, But there was Reggie basically talking. I was the only guy that wasn't afraid of Michael. Um, You know, I always went at him. And the thing I, I, I didn't have to be reminded of this because I, I enjoyed it at the time. The thing I remember the most about Reggie was, <laughs> so they get him to game seven, partially because he 
the hardest he's ever shoved a mammal in his life was when he <laughs> pushed Michael out of the way in game four so he could make the shot to keep the Bulls from going up 3-1. They get to game seven, and Reggie's got 22 points with two minutes to go in the third quarter. And Reggie finishes with 22 points. So I would think that, you know, Mr. Mr. Clutch, Mr. Big Time, you know, eight points in nine seconds. Um, maybe if he'd actually scored in the fourth quarter, I'd, I'd be more interested in him claiming that the Pacers were actually better than the Bulls and that he wasn't afraid of Michael. Because really what happened was, I mean, obviously it wasn't just Michael, but Michael guarded him a lot in the fourth quarter. But, you know, the Bulls were tough on poor Reggie because there's I, that's my side. They're tough on everyone because they're, they're tough. They're a really tough team. Yeah. Well, you he for Reggie would have get a heavy dose of Ron Harper, then Michael, and then occasionally if if they got tired of Scotty <laughs> rendering Mark Jackson completely useless, then he got Scotty. So I mean, I could see why he could kind of he could fade away in a big moment, but um, I did. <laughs> you hear His that? defense. Oh, do- dogs love Reggie Miller yeah. because uh, you know they're one of their own. He's one of their own. Uh, Reggie will point to a. Uh, <laughs> he turned his ankle in the fourth quarter ah. of that game, and that's why if you watch it, it's it's like he's doing a jump around thing, and they'll ma- they're making sly comments about how he w- he wasn't jumping on the ankle earlier. It is. It's all. Very annoying. I was at that game six where Jordan fell down in the final seconds. I had to walk out of a uh, Market Square arena among thousands of Pacer fans. Uh, I wore clothes that did not reveal any sort of a uh, – what's the word? I, I, I did not reveal that I was a Bulls nor Pacer fan, just wore regular clothes. And it was it was not fun. It was not great. It was I did see Rick Talender at halftime. Uh, in the media section, I went and introduced myself to him and uh, said there's going to be blogs. And about actually, some of them are already out right now. You should check them out. The Scipio, uh, that's really good on hoops. That's really good. Uh, but, yeah, look out because we're going to completely ruin the profession for everyone real soon. Yep. Uh, but that series was like the, they had – Patriots had the whole year to be better than the Bulls. Scottie Pippen missed half a season, and then they lost to him. So, no, you're not better. And they, the Pacers didn't make the playoffs the year before. They just didn't. Yeah, they, they traded Mark Jackson for Jalen Rose, and Larry Brown immediately hated Jalen Rose and wouldn't play him. They put Haywood Worthman in to be their starting point guard, and then he tore his ACL like four games into the season. So they had absolutely nobody running their point guard, and so they traded for Mark Jackson at the trade deadline back from Denver. They were so head down about it, they had to admit defeat and trade back for Mark Jackson. And, uh, yeah, got a lottery pick out of it and turned it into Chris Mullen. I th- no, got yeah, Austin Crozier as their lottery pick oh, out of yeah. it. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, they were, like, old. They were super old. And they were super healthy the next year with Mullen, and they still had fewer wins than the Bulls who had Pippen for, you know, 38 games. So another thing that, get, that I think is getting – see, I just found it entertaining, but been a lot of um... – think pieces about Michael being so mean to Scott Burrell. But I think I've, I think I know why he was mean to Scott Burrell. Scott Burrell was a better baseball player than Michael was. Wow. 
He was a number one draft pick by the Mariners out of high school. Went to UConn. Didn't play at UConn. Was a fifth round pick after his junior year and played played two years in the minor leagues. He was a pitcher. Struck out 60 guys in 60 innings. He also walked 31 guys, which is why he uh, did not. But I, I, after I started to remember, I'm like, I think Scott Burrell played baseball. And I looked it up, and I think that was part of it. You know? That had to be, because when they traded for him, every you couldn't get past the second paragraph without a mention of Burrell, who was also drafted by the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. was a two-sport. So, yeah, so Michael De- definitely knew about that. And, uh, wow, so he wasn't a position player. I didn't remember that. So he's a pitcher, which meant, like, you know, anyone can have their day in the cage. But, like, if Scott Burrell plays baseball, baseball against Michael Jordan, he's going to strike him out nine out of ten times. Yes. And the other one is going to be a, a Walt Herniak, Charlie Lau, you know, <laughs> weak thing to the opposite field. Uh, wow. So, yeah, that's definitely it. That's a fantastic call. Well, you know, good. Good. Because, as you know, the way Burrell responded in those playoffs, all those game winners, all those uh, amazing Burrell highlights we saw, it was, it was worth it. <laughs> Bowl for life, Scotty Burrell. Yeah, I still he was robbed. I don't know. I don't know how he wasn't MVP of the finals, but you know. I mean, they would have retired his number a couple years later, but Cartwright was the coach, and he was number twenty-four. Listen, we don't need to. There's already been enough documentaries about Scott Burrell. <laughs> Let's talk about this Michael Jordan documentary that was supposed to be about the ninety-seven, ninety-eight bowls. So I, there, I have some maybe unanswerable questions about this documentary some things um how do you have a documentary that rick smith plays a big part in and there are no scenes from coming to america in it (laughs) i mean in the face in the face in the face face. do we really think that david falk coined the brand air jordan because that just i could smell the bullshit wafting through my tv when he decided he had to take credit for that like i I just, I don't believe it. Oh, we were sitting in a meeting and I said, oh, you should call him Eric Jordan. Yes. Okay, Dave. Thanks. Um, There's this guy down in Arkansas I've heard of too. You guys should draft him for you. It's okay, Dave. Okay. <laughs> cool. Super agent. Um, I still don't quite understand the camera angle for Tony's voiceovers or his um, on camera stuff. It's just the camera's just pointing right at Tony's crotch the whole time. Yeah. And uh maybe they didn't know he was six eleven and they thought he was five eleven and they set the camera up and then they're like, Oh, this is gonna be all balls all the time but they didn't move the camera, which just no. seemed just seemed got, very odd to me. Very European genes too. Very very you know, European genes have pretty much stayed the same since the early nineties, which was Tony's time. So yeah, they didn't move it. Tony got Tony got shafted yeah. so much in this. I mean, he he carried him for a quarter in that game seven. They didn't talk about that at all. He, he was just he was the guy that they played the dream team against, and 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 nothing but that. That was boy, this was. I mean, like he plays golf with Jordan these days. Like he's closer to Jordan than probably any other current bull, and yet not. Yeah, and even the way they just kind of uh, glossed... I even mentioned it. If you're just going to kind of gloss over the fact that um, 
Tony had other things on his mind during the Olympics, like the fact yeah. that there was yeah. a civil war going on in yes. his country. Unprecedented <sighs> stuff. I mean, just incredibly crazy, but we, in retrospect, but we basically had a mini, yeah, it was like a very modern war going on that he would get heckled by. And I remember Dino Raja got heckled by uh, Robin Ficker out in Washington. Like, wow. Okay. Any 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 bit about uh, Robin Ficker being uh, oh he's just a super fan that says funny things no he's, he's heckling someone about a civil war that's 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 real fun ah uh, Tony Tony just he just never and then he had to he had to carry the ninety nine bowls to two and a half wins <laughs> it just it just never worked out for him Th- then okay we'll trade you you get to go play with Iverson yeah um. But yeah, I mean, Scotty or uh, Scotty, Tony had huge moments in those playoffs, and um, you know, you just wouldn't know it to have watched it. I understand. I mean, I'm not. I do not want to be one of the people who badmouths the documentary because yes, there are flaws in it, and the reason that um, many of us know there are flaws is that we lived through all of it. I was like, why didn't they put that in? Why didn't they put that in? But obviously, there's. It was a. It was a insanely entertaining ten hours, but. It doesn't mean that I, you know, don't want to make fun of it a little bit. Um, I just would have preferred a little. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be a Jordan documentary, and I was sincerely looking forward to uh, a whole lot of clips from that actual season. And they were just there were ninety five percent of that documentary was NBA entertainment stuff. It was all clips of the old finals and all-star games and even the 97 98 one is all all-star game stuff that was from nba entertainment so uh yeah like you said we lived through the thing that i kept going to was like it's not gonna be the last one of these documentaries and this will be the one they get a bunch of clips from 2020 from and that's fine that's okay someday we'll get something bigger and better and brighter and and it'll say everything that needs to be said but in time this time we got yet another michael jordan documentary yeah. Which I thought this was almost as good as Come Fly With Me. Maybe, maybe not. Just it almost as good. Um, I didn't have to subscribe to read Lee Mottville to get it. Oh. <laughs> um, it was some of the things that... Um, I don't remember how much they got it. So I like we talked about it last time. I was rereading uh, "Playing for Keeps," or I guess I wasn't. I started rereading "Playing for Keeps" right after you and I did the podcast, and was sh- surprised at how much of the stuff that was like, "Ooh, I didn't know that" in the documentary was actually in the book. <laughs> so yeah. like, oh shit! I guess I did know that. I read all that. Uh, so now, one thing I don't remember how much they made a big deal out of in the um, in the documentary, but I know they made a big deal out of it in the book was when the when the one when the Bulls played the Suns, not just in the finals, but every time they played the Suns, Michael focused that maniacal fantasy revenge fantasy stuff on Dan Marley because. Kraus made such a big deal out of what a great defensive player Dan Marley was before the draft. And that was part of the reason why Michael wanted to go after him so hard. Um, why didn't they draft Dan Marley, though? They drafted Will Purdue. 
Dan Marley was a much better player than Will Perdue. Because <laughs> they thought they were going to get, they had, they, they had to move down, they moved up in the draft because of the Cartwright deal. Uh, but what's the Cartwright deal is you just traded for a 31-year-old center that's played like 100 games in the last four years yeah, combined. because his feet so, are falling off. Yeah, so they and they were gifted with a number eleven pick, and they tried to get they tried to they put in a pseudonym for for Purdue. Come, yeah, they they I they thought they could get him in like the fifteenth round or something like that. They tried to get to get him to to skunk the Portsmouth tournament, but they needed a seven footer. I can't complain with Will Purdue. I've been making fun of Will Purdue since I was eight years old, and I still can't complain with him because he was fine. Yeah, and it's. It's rare to get like a just fine NBA center. They're either amazing or they're nothing. And, you know, there's so many guys that you take at like 10, 11 that just turn out to be nothing. But this guy could actually kind of play. So, you know, forget Thunder Dan. I don't need, we, he's perfect for Phoenix. That guy was born in a polo shirt and khaki <laughs> shorts hovering over a chicken finger salad. And a, and, a, and a Bud Light the size of his arm at a, at a you know, a sports <laughs> bar. That guy was absolutely made. I know he's from Traverse City, but he was, you know, that's the that's the phoenix of the northern mainland of Michigan. <laughs> well, and he's never not been tan since his first day in Phoenix. So. Oh, yeah. He was uh, perfect for that. And I can tell you, after living in Traverse City for three years, he was not tan when he was in Traverse City. <laughs> The sun doesn't come within a hundred million miles of Traverse, even on its even on its nicest days. It's let's go to the beach. Um, we're gonna need a light jacket. <laughs> From eleven forty to twelve twenty, there gonna be direct sunlight. So it'll be silver coming off a cloud. But out well, of the cherries. The last year we lived there, we moved in um, August, and. Because I had been insanely busy at, at work, and part of the reason we moved back was it's one thing to live in this beautiful. It is a beautiful part of the world. It's amazing. I couldn't. I didn't feel like I could enjoy any of it because I was working, you know, fourteen hours a day. Um, but we realized that we hadn't been in the water like all summer. We'd been to the beach a few times, and the water was too cold to actually go in. So this is August, mm-hmm. and. We went kayaking, and we did not want to fall out of the boat because the water was so cold. <laughs> like, okay, it's August. This is as warm as this water is going to get. So there's my Trevor City tourism plug. It is a beautiful Ouch. place. Just, uh, it, cold. Uh, it's fucking cold. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if we want to get into the whole... So Horace Grant was making the, making the rounds today... <laughs> insisting that he wasn't the snitch in the Jordan rules. But I remember reading the book as a kid, not a kid, 20-year-old, whatever I was. And I loved that book. I, I, there were people who were like, oh, Michael's so mean. It's like, what? Watch the games. You can tell he's an ass. Yeah, how That's could you what, not know? This is why we love him. Um, but everybody talked to Sam Smith. Michael talked to Sam Smith. Everybody's quoted in the book, <laughs> so it's like yes, Horace, you talk. You should not be compl- you, Your thing should not be. I didn't talk to Sam. Your thing should be. Everybody talked to Sam, and then Sam printed the stuff that he thought fit the book best. So shut up. Um, but like I said, and it maybe 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 it was Harvey. 
maybe Harvey Grant did all the talking. <laughs> and it gives Horace then the uh, plausible deniability to say, I never talked to him. I, just, I would tell Harvey. Harvey would go tell Sam and pretend it was him. Hold on. Let me... Hold the. Let me uh, hand over the phone to Harvey for this one. Okay, Harvey here, ready to talk because this is definitely Harvey now. Horace would just. Yeah. Pop, Horace would pop his collar when it was, <laughs> when, it was when it was Harvey time, and yeah. then put it back down for a uh, slightly less casual Horace. Yes, Hor- Horace would miss a rotation on defense uh, to prove that he was Harvey, and uh, and uh, Harvey would just drop a pass. And then look uh, upwards at the sky and adjust his goggles to prove he was Horace. It was, it was, they had a whole thing down. I'm sure it dated back to college. See, this is why they don't give me a 10 hour documentary because I would have put Jerry and Grant, <laughs> I would have put Jerry and Grant in it. And the only thing he would have said was, no, uh, Horace, my uncle, not my dad. That would have been it. That would have been the entire, <laughs> but I would have had him in it just so people remember. That's right. Jerry and Grant was, uh, right. he's one of those Grants. Even he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even he can't tell the difference. So I was listening to a um, Zach Lowe did a kind of a deep dive on Game Seven of the Pacers series. He had Ryan Rosillo on, and they and they talked about it. One of the things I've heard Zach talk about this before. He was going, it's just um, when you look back, I just couldn't believe how many times the Bulls almost lost. It's like, well, yeah. That was yeah. that was the idea. Almost is the key word there. There, you know, there were things. It, it, this is the reason they won six championships was. It wasn't just, and he wasn't insinuating that it was just luck. It's like, oh, I can't believe this. But if if the margin for error to beat them was so slim, that when you got an opportunity, you had to take it. And it was very difficult to do that four times in a series, which is why they just didn't lose. Because if you gave Michael an inch at the end of the game, he would take it, and then he would beat you. And then you would get all these, well, you know, if we could have controlled the tip when uh, uh, when Rick Smith had the jump yeah. ball. Yeah. Or if yeah. Charles Smith could have just made one of those yeah. five layups. Or if, <laughs> if, it. if. The reason you turns an entire generation into into just nothing but legitimate excuses, and he just did it to an entire group of people born between 1956 and 1970. It's great. Yep. Yeah, and as sports fans, we have a list as long as our arm of every other team we've ever rooted for, where we we have all the ifs, and so this this era of Bulls is the only team that we ever got to root for, where. The only ifs we ever had was, um, you know, what if Michael had never retired? Not any of the other stuff. And then he comes back and, you know, takes him six months hanging out with Bugs Bunny, and all of a sudden he's the best player in the world again. But it's it was – I found it just I – I was out for a run listening to the podcast, and people are already, you know, worried about the crazy guy who's running through the neighborhood because he can't go anywhere else to run – Yelling at the air, like, almost, that's the reason that it's almost. (laughs) You don't understand. The strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. (laughs) No, it's great, and it's it's helped by the fact that there's only, you can only play five guys at a side, and even if one of them is Luke Longley, you know, we never had to, you never had to worry about uh, Doug Flutie starting a playoff game for this team. It was never, uh, 
uh, it was never a problem. It was it was it was very satisfying. And like you said, it's <clears throat> Sally the Bill James thing. We're like, yeah, in the NBA, you get seven tries. The best team is going to win. And uh, you know, anyone. We keep going back to this, but anytime you go, the answer is in the games. If you want to know if Mike's a jerk, yeah, I'll watch the games. If you want to know what beats the Bulls, their offense would look terrible out of nowhere. They'd look like a, a 15, they'd you know, drop like a 14-point quarter. Uh, they'd start missing free throws. Jordan couldn't bail them out with crazy shots, and then they'd lose 10 to 12 times a year. And when it happened in the playoffs, it, like, it wasn't a big deal. They were human. And they didn't have to do anything miraculous with Jordan. It didn't have to be this crazy game six thing every time. They just had to outlast them, and they just they they did. It, you play Ron Harper more to work on Mookie Blaylock, so that doesn't happen again. Now we're going to have Jordan actually play defense in this game and actually show on a pick and roll on B.J. Armstrong this time. Okay, we're not going to get flustered by the Knicks. All these guys are going to be free agents next year. It's okay. We're going to be out in New York. We're going to get to you know it was just a new thing every week, and they just. They could handle it. I was never frightened about Game 7 against Indiana, not because I had this guaranteed thought that they were going to win. It was just, I know they can look like it was. I know they could lose. So once you get past that, it's it's no big thing. <laughs> that was that was Phil's uh, pregame pep talk. Yeah, we could lose this game. All right, it really was. It, cause it, was such a, it was like a weird day. It was kind of cold. It was kind of, it should have been warmer than it was for that point in the year. And it was just, a, we never really got ready for a Bulls game seven where everything was on the line. So to me, at least it didn't, it never felt like sweat city. Oh my God, this is amazing. This they're going to be making documentaries about this. It's like some shit could go wrong in this game and it could be over. Let's just, you know, get ready for that. And that's, Genuinely, kind of where we were with the knowledge that Jordan could get ten free throws in eight minutes. We wanted to. So the we talked a little bit about Tony. Um, he plays a a huge part in one of the most memorable things that happened during that whole run. And it's uh, you know Scotty has the one point eight second thing tattooed to him for the rest of his life, but. Because Tony made the shot, it's a fraction of what it would have been. I mean, then oh, it's yeah. like, you believe he did that? But, I mean, if the Bulls lose that game, that becomes a whole different thing. I mean, you think about what a big deal people still make about it now. But they won. And then they, you know. But to hear his, it was funny to hear <laughs> Scotty say, um, would I... Would I do it all over again? Probably. <laughs> no. No, no, no. That's not the answer. No. Don't do that. You should not do that. You should not have done it then. And you, if you get a second chance, you should never do it. But like, the reason, Have you noticed how no one's done it since, Scotty? Did you right. notice how you no not, one did it before you two? Yes. <laughs> it's not one of those things. Pippening is not a thing. Oh, the play's not for me? Sorry. I'm sitting this one out. That didn't catch on. But the reason he can say that is because Tony made the shot and the Bulls won. And yes, it was awkward and uncomfortable and, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But in the end, it didn't cost them anything, which is why he can say that. But otherwise, I mean, it changes everything. He would have gotten, he would have gotten traded. He would not have been around for the, for the second, you know, attempt at the three-peat, all that stuff. I mean, he almost got traded anyway. Um, he almost got shipped off to the Clippers for a 
handful of picks or to the Sonics for Sean Kemp or whatever. But, um, you know, if, if, if the, the lasting, and, and, you know, and, and that was so frustrating because he had, he had played so great that season and he undid all of it in, you know, 1.8 seconds. We know why he was, we know why he was mad. You talked about it the last time you were on. And then I stole it and just wrote about it. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't get to be that mad. <laughs> That's just not part of it. You could be pissed, but you still, you just, you have to be pissed and walk out on the court, and you have to be the one who throws the pass. And actually, Pete Myers also deserves, um, you know, he put the pass right where it had to be. Because he was a great passer. Because if he throws it away and it never gets to Tony, then it's the same thing. But. Pippen wanted him to inbound the pass right after Ewing hit the shot. Right, like Pippen wanted the Pippen was just messed up in the head at that point. He was gone because he was so pissed off at Tony, and uh, like he wanted them to inbound the ball right away. Luckily, Phil Jackson called a timeout before they could. It was yeah, but the next game was the game where, as they showed him the thing, Scotty immediately dumped on Patrick Ewing and walked his you know what all over his face. <laughs> so I was like, oh no, we're good now. We are absolutely good. You know what? If you want to sit out the final 1.8 of this game, you can do that too. You're not all that great. I mean, how many Scottie Pippen last-second shots can we uh, recall bouncing in off the backboard? Yeah, there's not a uh, there is not a supercut of Scottie um, buzzer beaters. My, my favorite guy ever, but there, there just isn't. He was not a go-to scorer type of guy. He had one dunk. In Game Three against Washington in '97, uh, when the Bulls were beat, it was the last, or la- yeah, last game of the Bullets era. And Jordan was going up for a game-winning jumper, and the ball slipped from his hands. Pippen took the loose ball, dunked it, fell on his back, missed the free throw. It wasn't super heroic, but so there was that. But as far as like you know, clear out for Scotty. Let's have him pull up for a jump shot. Nah, no. But yeah, despite it, he was. Um, he's he's my favorite. The keyword is favorite. He's my favorite bull of all time. I love Scotty, and obviously Michael is. You know, he was almost on. He's on that completely separate plane. You almost that was a given. So then you had to you had to pick somebody else because it was already yeah. Michael. Michael, he didn't have to root for Michael. Michael was just Michael. He was going to take care of his stuff. And um, I think I think the guy who ends up being our favorite player is always the guy that we. Have, we hope on like oh he's gonna okay. maybe he'll become great and Scotty did um but Michael was you know I I am old enough to remember the Bulls from the year before Michael so I remember I remember the 83 Bulls and um I distinctly remember my dad saying you might want to pick another team because there was this very <laughs> small son who was like well that's Chicago we're gonna root for them and he's like uh are you sure about that but it was okay because he was a big Notre Dame fan and Orlando Woolridge was, <laughs> was on the oh, team. Nice. Yeah. Um, but Michael, within, you know, he scored 28 points a game as a rookie. Then the whole second season's completely lost. I'm sure I didn't watch a single game until the playoffs. Nobody, I don't think anybody did. Um, and then all of a sudden, he was just this thing. He was Michael Jordan already. He was this, like, fully formed great player. He got better, but he was so. Yeah, Scotty was the guy then that I was like, "That's that'll be my guy." So like when when the Dream Team became a thing, and I went out and bought a uh, USA jersey, 
I got I got the Pippin eight, not the Jordan nine, because hell, anybody, here. anybody can have the Jordan nine. I want the Pippin eight. So same here. That was the first jersey I ever got, and the exact same thing. It's like I, it's I'm not gonna. No one buys a Beatles shirt. It's like you get yeah. something else, and yeah, the Pippin one, hundred percent. But there were people saying that they didn't think, think he that's can't. Still the, that's still the only jersey I've ever bought because I never uh, really got into that. I've yeah, had I other jerseys given to me, but I think the Pippin Dream Team jersey is the only one I ever got. I, I didn't follow that up as a, as a snotty 16-year-old a few years later. Especially those Atlanta jerseys were super gross. And why is Hakeem playing on Team USA? That's just unfair. <laughs> But so there were people who've been like, "Well, I don't think Scotty came off very well in this documentary." I thought he came off exceedingly well. Yeah, he was so good. And I do. I so think. Good. I think my single favorite throwaway line in it, it was about him. It was. It was Judd Bushler talking about being on an airplane, and Scotty's looking at the schedule in '96. Going, <laughs> I don't think we're gonna lose a game for three months. <laughs> like, well, you're. Probably right. I wonder what game he looked at, where he's like, "All right, we might, we might lose that one." That's three months away. Uh, Atlanta. And maybe this, and I wonder about this. Maybe people would have, um, would have thought Scotty came off better in the documentary. If I was amazed that they left this out, I really was, and I'm sure it was just, um, we've only got two hours left, and how much can we devote to this? But they completely gloss over game one of the 97 finals with Michael misses a shot. Um, Utah comes down, tie game. Carl Malone gets fouled. There's the MVP going to the free throw oh, line. Oh, yeah. Scotty walks by, stops, and says, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday. <laughs> and Carl misses both free throws. Jordan makes a shot. Bulls win. Now, I think... I have a feeling that Scotty didn't just say the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday. Okay, I think he said the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday or, ironically, on Tuesdays in Arkansas. <laughs> it's like, okay, Scotty, that's too much info. We don't need we don't need to know that, that the little podunk town in Arkansas, you're at, they didn't have postal delivery on Tuesdays. Just stick to the Sunday part. But it's a great line. And I it's it seemed like the perfect thing for that documentary. So I oh, and yeah. you know they ask him about it. So there's when they inevitably come out with the, you know, four extra hours of footage we'll get that story but um it's incredible we you watched that live and we were like oh we just witnessed something i, I mean it, it was not quite babe ruth calling his own shot but like, oh, we just they had a perfectly crafted hollywood line after that happening you see him mention it to Ahmad rashad on live tv <laughs> everyone at once realizes it's sunday everyone at once realizes the joke can't believe that the guy it was like Picture perfect for everything. Scotty's got a smart aleck comment for everything in this series, and everyone loves him. He's like a, a you know low key Charles Barkley in that realm. Like he just he, we cannot get angry at him, and yet they left it out. It was so brutally awesome. And h- how do you do that for more stuff about Scott Burrell? <laughs> also, like so, you know, he had the he had the bad back. Um... Which, if I, it it was it wasn't it didn't just flare up in game six, I mean it was bothering him, but not as bad I guess, but it had been yeah. bothering him for the for the couple of games before that. Um, and it so started you, in the Pacers series because uh, he was hounding Mark Jackson 
So on Game 3 of the Pacers series, Rodman was a little late on some of his screen calls out, and Pippa just got destroyed on two different, like, I think both Davis brothers got a <laughs> whack at him in the backcourt because they were protecting their guy. But, it was, yeah, like you said, and then it flared up again in Utah before Game 6, and it was, you know, he was done. So I like the fact that he gets asked if, uh, were you a decoy? He's like, yeah, it was a decoy, and but I don't think they knew it. Like, what do you mean they didn't know it? You couldn't stand up. You were like squatted over. Now he did. Uh, he made a couple of big buckets, even uh, with the inability to twist his back. In anyway, but um, yeah, he posted up Ornisek. He the, was, it was, but yeah, they hundred percent knew it. It's just you know they started Adam Keith that year for some reason. They couldn't really do much about it in the first and third quarters. So all that, he's got the bad back, and we see him, you know, having to leave to get treatment and come back and leave and get treatment again. And then Michael makes the Michael makes the iconic shot, and the Jazz have the ball one more time. And there's Scotty with discs pointing in directions they're not supposed to in somebody's <laughs> spine. And he leans over to Michael, and he's like, follow him to me, I'll take the charge. <laughs> like, all right, so there's a guy that people still give shit about for a migraine and all this stuff. And his back is completely fucked up to the point where he was was almost, uh, he was completely hobbled. And with the chance to win the championship, he's like, I don't care. Let Carl Malone run into me as hard as he wants. I'll take the charge and we'll win. That's, that's the, that's something I, obviously we'd never seen that clip before with that. No, I didn't know that one. I never saw um, that. That was incredible. It was amazing. Cause I would have been like, um, Okay, guys, we have, we have the lead. Uh, if if your man gets by you, uh, let's not do that because I don't want to have to take a charge. I've already got five rings. I don't know that I need another one that bad. But, uh, you know, make him take a jumper. He'll be fine. And then they did. Remember how I led the team in charges even though I only <clears> – <throat> charges taken even though I only played half the season? Yeah, it's time for another one of you yeah. guys to uh, step up on that one. And yet it was, you know, they thank goodness it was not B.J. Armstrong, it was Ron Harper, and the uh, block Stockton shot. And without that, no documentary. <clears throat> no documentary after five rooms. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do that. They needed that last season that they used five percent of the footage of to, to really push them over the top. <laughs> and then Jordan lost. It's John Stockton hit a three. Uh, I did enjoy the fact that. Um... Speaking of tourist videos, this, it was not exactly a. I don't think um, the Salt Lake City Chamber of Commerce is going to uh, reference the video very much. <laughs> we get the obligatory: there's no place to eat in Salt Lake after six o'clock, so Michael has to get a pizza from Pizza Hut. And I don't know if five people really delivered the pizza or not, or if, you know, it's Tim. We got it from Tim Grove for God's sakes. Um, but then we had the weird. <clears throat> The Pacers did too. Were parades before games really a thing? The the Pacers had a parade. The Jazz had a parade. I guess only in very very white towns do you get pre NBA uh, playoff game parades. Um, and then I wondered, do you think Michael Buffer is the biggest celebrity who's ever been to Salt Lake City? <laughs> they they trotted him out. 
And I don't know why I thought this. So then I see Butler and I laugh and I'm just thinking about, I'm distracted now for like 30 seconds. And I'm thinking about Salt Lake and I'm like, I wonder if he's the biggest celebrity ever. I'm like, no, remember the time Cedric, Ceballo, Cedric Ceballos was there on his jet ski? And then I'm like, no, 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 that's Lake Havasu. And so now I'm not watching the documentary. I literally then had to rewind because I missed a bunch of stuff. Because somehow Michael Buffer in my brain then turned into Cedric Savalas going AWOL and being found on a jet ski in Lake Havasu. Was he a son when that happened? He was a Laker. He was a Laker. And it was, it was the same year Magic came back. Yeah. And I was part of it because Magic was going to take his minutes <laughs> to, you know, do things like pass. <laughs> the places that places my brain goes. Cedric Sabalos, who won the slam dunk contest because he dunked with a blindfold on that he could see through. Yes, exactly. It was uh, basically like wearing sunglasses. That he was, was also on an episode of Living Single where he got out on a date with uh, uh, Queen Latifah. Oh, nice. Well, that can, be, I, that can be in that. That'll be a documentary that that can be in. I did like, jot down. Oh, my God. Jordan has no answer. It right. just has no story I go, about. I go, has yet to, fun. Right, he has yet to get pissed off about Cedric's bows. Like I saw the blindfold had a hole in it. I didn't mind that. Yeah, do your thing. <laughs> oh, how about the fact that we find out? Maybe you knew this, but I didn't know this. That the the Bradford Smith thing was made up. It always seemed a little convenient, but to have Michael just go, yeah, he never said it. Because that had become such, like, lore that when they were talking about um, BJ mouthing off to Phil and Michael after the one playoff game that the Hornets won, um, I immediately thought, oh, it's like the LeBradford Smith thing. And then they tell the LeBradford Smith story, and then we find out that it didn't really happen. It really happened. I, I must have heard it incorrectly because I did not remember <clears throat> the, the story about him putting his arm around him and saying, nice game, Mike. I didn't remember that. No, I didn't either. I, I didn't. Mean, I guess. But I, yeah, he busted him. He he absolutely busted him. I didn't. They they were talking about that right at that time. But uh, the BJ thing was like BJ Armstrong. I've watched a lot of basketball games, ninety seven, ninety eight season. I have not seen anyone celebrate that much yet. You really, and you're doing that to a team with Michael Jordan on it. That's like. The Houston Rockets and Charles Barkley limping to the court are going to take offense to what you're doing right now, let alone let alone Mr. Let's Kill the Bradford Smith and make a story up about a Michael Jordan. Yeah, and then BJ's line about, I played with that team. I knew how to beat him. BJ played him 12 times after he left the Bulls. He won two. So I don't think he really knew. Actually, maybe he did. He was just incapable. I'm shocked he won two. When did he win? I guess he must have won another one in Charlotte. Is it sure as Spitfire was in Golden State? No, I just know that he was he was two and ten against the Bulls. Hell, maybe it was. Uh, how long did BJ play? Was it after Jordan left that he finally he got played, another win? He joined the Bulls for one final year. Yeah, that's right. Kraus brought him back. He also brought Will Purdue back when Kraus had to sign. When they invented a minimum salary cap and Kraus had to bring people in just to meet the minimum salary cap, genuinely, the first guys he called were Will Purdue and B.J. Armstrong. And uh, that was, what was that? That was 99-2000. So Floyd, 
That was uh, Elton Brand's rookie year. Welcome to the league, pal. You're two guys from the 80s. <laughs> so the other thing we've also got a lot of is the um, people who I'm sure had a lot of fun making fun of Jerry Krause. Now saying, oh my God, I can't believe how much they're making fun of Jerry Krause. And I've always thought it was okay to do that. Because in it's one thing if St. Jerry wasn't a good general manager. Clearly he was. He, he did some weird stuff because he was a weird guy. But he, he built a team around a... Um, a two guard, which really hadn't happened. He found pieces that fit. He he brought Phil in out of the teepee and made him an assistant coach and then made him the head coach. He did all that stuff. It's undeniable. But he did a lot of weird shit, and he rubbed everybody the wrong way, and I think he got to a point in his life where he's like, well, nobody likes me anyway, so I'm just going to continue to rub people the wrong way. And I don't know, I, I, obviously, I, Michael, he's... He's a little pathological himself. <laughs> but a lot of times what you will see is, see, my theory has always been that that Michael was, uh, felt, I'm not, I'm not articulating this well at all, but, so when you see Michael say nasty shit to Krause, part of it was Michael thinking it was funny, and some of it was funny, but I also got the feeling that part of it was, Kraus could treat most of the other players like shit. He just could. And Michael was, that was kind of Michael's way of being the other, I'm going to say the shit that the other guys should be saying to you, but they can't. And I'm just going to say it all the time. And yes, it's going to get repetitive and it's going to get uncomfortable and I probably shouldn't do it. But I almost felt like there was some of that. It wasn't Michael picking on this misunderstood, you know, you know, nice guy. He was, Jerry was being a dick to the, to Michael's teammates. And like you said, using the bathroom and the, using the players locker room, bathroom, and the United States, all this weird stuff that he really shouldn't have been there. And so when you see Michael be especially dickish to him, it's not a good look for Michael, but I was able to just go, eh, I'm sure Jerry deserved most of that. Probably not all of it, but enough of it that I just, I can't feel guilty about enjoying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting offended by anything, but sometimes they say a picture's from 1998 <clears throat> when it's clearly from 1997 or the other way around. Uh, yeah, Jerry, I mean, it's the NBA, and the NBA is like the only sport where the best players are probably underpaid. <laughs> like, sorry to the, an affront to everyone else that has a job in the in the regular world, but like, you know, there's an actual max salary, and that was the year before they put in a max salary. And David Falk was all in their ears about, you know, hey, you got to <laughs> – they're about to try to put in a max salary. You're already underpaid, even if – so he was – like you said, he was kind of speaking truth to power. He's the only guy that could say some of that stuff, not that he was saying the best thing he could have said. Right. You know, if you can speak the same language as the as, – it's the people you're trying to get along with. Maybe don't make fun of how short they are, but yeah, there's a there's a real power of the NBA, and it should be there because one person can tilt the scales. 
the market for him was not $33 million. It would have been, you know, he, it would have been the first hundred million dollar player around because that's what the NBA, you know, that's what it's like. That's it's, it's the rare thing with, you know, is, is LeBron James giving you a hundred million dollars worth of MVP basketball? No, but are you going to sign him to the chance that he can make four other guys around you in this one year and you can do what teams do in baseball and the Tigers did it for 10 years chasing that championship. It's, it's, you know this weird sort of wilderness, and uh, and the the lead guy can just be as big a big a jerk as he wants, and we're all kind of okay with that. I mean, I am. Me too. <laughs> so then, so we get to the end of the whole thing. Don't then, use their bathroom. Yeah. Just Ew, stay out of their bathroom. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. Um. So we get to the end of it, and they have to deal with the foregone conclusion. Then make it, and I, I didn't remember the timing of this. So, had Tim Floyd already been hired as the not coach before they made the public overture to Phil, or did they make the public overture to Phil that they were hoping that he would just turn down, expected he would turn down, and then he strung it along, and so they had to hire Floyd as the consultant. I didn't remember the timing on that. Uh, same day, same exact, the exact day. Same day. I, like they hadn't. It, Tim Floyd was a rumor, and we don't know what you guys were talking about until he was up with a press conference uh, making jokes about how Ray Cross is a bad, was bad at fishing. He's, he, he sounded like Al Gore mixed with George W. Bush at the same time. He was just all shucks in it all over the place. And but yeah, at the same time they named him president of basketball operations or whatever it was, or vice president. But also said, "Hey, we want to extend it back to Scotty, Michael, and Phil to come back." Same same press conference in like July, maybe I don't know. Maybe it was June, but it was <laughs> same sham of a press conference. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's our new vice president of basketball operations, Tim Floyd. We're going to throw him to the wolves with absolutely nothing of value to say <laughs> in a lockout. Where even if they did have an idea about bringing these guys back, it wasn't going to be until next. You know, these guys, the sides weren't even meeting at that point. And, uh, you know, that's that's how we do things. We're the Bulls, and we're going to throw this guy to the Wolves. <sighs> it's sad, sad, continued state of affairs. But, yeah, same day. And so then there's Jerry Reinsdorf saying, well, you know, we wanted him back. We wanted Phil back. He'd earned the right. Of course, we wanted Michael back. Uh, but I don't know if we would have been able to afford Ron Harper <laughs> – <laughs> Steve Kerr, it's like, um, and Dennis. It's like, okay, well, Dennis didn't. Nobody wanted Dennis. He, he didn't. He didn't have a team when the lockout ended. Um, Harper took a pay cut to go to the Lakers, and Kerr got a raise because he was being paid nothing with the Bulls. But he was only making like one point six million dollars with the Spurs. So, yeah. you knew you were going to be on camera, and you knew they were going to ask you this question. And that's what they workshopped? I don't know. If we're afraid Ron Harper and Steve Kerr were going to be too expensive, so we're going to have to rebuild. It's like, oh. Yeah, try that again. It's a, it was a $30 million salary cap the next year when all was figured out after the lockout. And Harper was still under contract. They could have done the same thing that Houston did and have my, and what is he renounce Michael Jordan and then you sign Scottie Pippen to as much as possible, which would have been like $11 million. And then you sign Michael to you wait until all it's over and you sign Michael Jordan to the minimum. And so just like Charles Barkley did that year. 
And uh, <laughs> you would have had room for Randy Brown was still on the roster. You would have had room for a reasonable salary to get, uh, you know, there were, there were, I'm working on something like that. No, you could have gotten old Polonies. You could have worked out. You could have brought Brent Barry in to kind of tie things over until Jordan's finger, you know, stopped being. In. You see still shots on Jordan's finger oh, in that man. documentary. Ugh. He's got that Ronnie Lott thing going on. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, we would have won the seventh title. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, this thing barely functions anymore. Uh, but, yeah, it could have been 100%. It could have been figured out. Jordan would have had to give back to get Scotty his deal. But, you know, Jordan probably would have done that to, to – Let's scope that all out. Anything could have been figured out. And you know what? There are other guys out there who can hit three pointers too in, in 1999 to go five. They were just too, they were just so many jerks that so many times to Phil Jackson that he didn't want to fight through it anymore. And Phil Jackson was such a jerk to them that they didn't want to deal with him anymore. Everyone was ready for it to be done. And then it was done. Yeah. Cause I'm really stunned that Phil didn't want to come back and coach under Krause for one more year. And with Tim Floyd as his other boss, that really seems like that would have been just a yeah. great situation. <sighs> I mean, if they paid him ten million, maybe, maybe, maybe. But he, again, he had his eye on Shaq for years. He was, he was going to keep his his options open for Shaq, and you know, it's not like he did much that year. He campaigned briefly for Bill Bradley, yeah, <laughs> and that picture of Bill Bradley in a gun that he used to run repeatedly. That still makes me laugh to this day. Uh, but, you know, it's not like he did a whole heck of a lot during the lockout year. So it could have been all figured out. But, uh, you know, to, all that to see if they can beat Tim Duncan. Nah, who cares? Yeah. Well, and we saw how, you know, the last year was a slog. And not just because of the way basketball was then. I mean, they were, you know, Scotty. Scotty's body was falling apart. We didn't know Michael was going to cut his finger off with a cigar cutter and all the other stuff. So, but it's, it just seems like they've had 22 years to craft a better explanation for why they did it. And it's just insulting that they clearly didn't give it any thought. Now, if it had been, if they'd asked him about uh, Harold Baines's uh, Hall of Fame case, uh, Reiser, he'd still be talking. They'd be like, uh, oh, yeah. Jerry, that we actually we ran out of we ran out of film an hour and a half ago. We've already pa- all the stuff is actually in the van. You're still talking. <laughs> still talking. We're not recording any of this. And what about he never missed a cutoff, man? That just doesn't seem that doesn't seem realistic. <laughs> awfully anecdotal, Mister Reiser. Anyway, no, I will I will read those links you sent to me from blogs from 2012. Absolutely, those seem like. Uh... <laughs> Oh my gosh, he's just, he, that's just a bad, the, the, it was the first year that you could have gone to like a million, there weren't a lot of free agents in 97, there weren't a lot of free agents in 96 that were, you know, there were a lot of deals to be had in 96, but 98, 99 was the first year where the Bulls could have gone to like a bunch of old geezers and gone, hey, you want to win a trophy? Come on to Chicago. Yeah. Sam Perkins, you went to Indiana that year to go get a trophy. Why don't you come back to Jordan's Bowl? So it could have been, it could have been done. I'm working on something on it, but God, Jerry Reinsdorf is just ah. I mean, he, he, he. I've always been amazed at the pass that he gets. I mean, 
I guess he wins six championships, and it's hard to be, you know, you're not going to get a lot of objective, why is he a terrible owner stuff, even though you, you could. But, you know, the fact that White Sox fans ever forgave him for basically canceling a season when they had a legitimate shot to win a World Series. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing that, that supposedly was the only thing he ever really wanted. He didn't really care about the Bulls. He just wanted to win a World Series. And now he's got a good team. They've been in the playoffs in 93, which, you know, Michael had happily, for me, he overshadowed their uh, playoff appearance by retiring in the middle of it. But then in 94, I've long made the argument, mostly to my White Sox friends, that by the time the strike came about in 94, the Sox were not as good as either the Yankees or the Indians, but they still were really good, and they had a chance to win a World Series. And there's their owner actively run. He was basically running the strike with Bud Selig. Oh, they, yeah. were, they were the two guys who did it. And the That's fact that strike. the fact that they've forgiven him, that they never really seem to be that mad about it. It's like I just it must be nice to to buy two professional baseball teams, mostly with other people's or professional sports teams, mostly with other people's money, run them poorly, um, end up with trophies. So that's the thing everybody really wants, and then just come out of it as with all kinds of money and no, um, you know, everybody thinks ah he's great. Well, he wasn't, but that's fine. Oh, and he could, I mean. Who was better than Frank Thomas that year? And his, you know, OPS of 14 or whatever he had that. <laughs> he could have, instead of the year he won it, it was a, a, a you know, a, a pinch hit home run by a guy whose name I can't remember. And, uh, and a stupid journey song. <laughs> like then that, you know, he could, he had his own chance at building like a really nice, you know, dynastic, you know, if, if you weren't wearing a White Sox hat as a front runner heading into 91 spring training, there, there was something wrong with you. He could have had it both ways. There's a bit going around right now where I'm sure you remember Corey Benjamin, the Bulls draft pick oh, in 98, yeah. uh, was talking about the Bulls draft him because his agent was Aaron Tellum, who was Kobe's agent among other people. <clears throat> so for $500,000, you get to keep this guy around and make uh, you know Kobe's agent happy. That's pretty good. So Kraus smartly drafts him. 2,000 rings are, uh, rolls around. It's, it's time to, to reach out to Tracy McGrady. It's time to reach out to Jermaine O'Neal, Tim Thomas. And uh, they're all Arn Tellum guys. They have a party. They bring them to Chicago. Corey Benjamin's there. Krause apparently says, if you get these guys, I'll give you a contract extension. Because Corey Benjamin, not all that good. Not a good basketball player <laughs> on the NBA. So uh, it gets back to O'Neal, like later, t- and Thomas, and all this, the guys get back to him. And he's like, yeah, they offered us like less than the max. <sighs> they, they, they thought it was they were going to look at like a Chicago Bulls discount for just the book, and you know that's not Kraus. You yes, know Kraus right. is not like I'm going to offer these guys eighty percent of what they could because now I'm sure Kraus had a plan to show them and we're going to get some other tenth man here and we're going to get Brad Miller here and I'm sure there was I'm sure Kraus was behind it at the end, but you know where that starts. <sighs> it's 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 a bad situation, and uh, uh, you know now they wear red uniforms at home. Yeah, and that all starts with the guy who uh, tried to sign Horace to a contract without his agent around. Um, the guy who I have always contended that, because it wasn't just Scotty. He's bragged other times about how, well, guys, he signed that contract, and I warned him. I said, I don't think this is a good contract. And um, I've always felt like that was just him trying to trying to impress upon the player how much smarter he was than the player and their agent. 
which is, yeah, well, you think this is a great deal, but it's not that great a deal. I don't, I don't think I'd sign it if I were you. It's like, well, then, you know, piss off. Which is like salary cap door stuff. Like, okay, great. So you can anticipate the salary cap spike or the, the labor impasse that's going to happen in eight. Let's go. Oh, great. So you're one of those dorks. Okay, good. Yeah, we need we need more of that as as the guy that runs the show. And yet they all come, you know, John Paxson was John Paxson literally fought for that man. Yep. <laughs> like, and yet he was such a jerk to him. Like, ah John Paxson probably drives a Dodge Omni right now. And <laughs> and you're just making him feel he's dragging his one knee around and you're gonna make him feel the guy was limping at Notre Dame. And yet, as soon as it ended, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll be the assistant coach for the Bulls. I'll be the radio guy. I'll run that team for 20 years. Yep. Well, and that's – I've always thought that's part of the – Reinsdorf fear – you get a job, you get a job for life. Um, because it's – it's it's just – it's part of the way he runs that, that organization, which is basically if you're completely loyal to me and you keep the heat off of me – then yes, you can have that job forever. And if we win, that'd be a nice bonus. And I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I just don't, I, why do you even cash out then? You can, you can sell both of those franchises for a thousand times more than what you bought them for. And um, just do it. Just cash out. Every five to 10 years, one of these teams of his goes on striker lockout. And that, that's his that's 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 Jerry in summertime. That's yeah. that's just him. <laughs> that's his you version. Know, with, it's his yeah. version of the finals. It's, oh, he just sweat whipping or whipping into his eyes, and and uh, you know, yeah, it's that's just when he does his business. Ah, uh, I you know we got. I can't. I just I'm having the hardest thought. We're so passionate about it, but like I can't be too angry. Those six yes. rings, and we're around for them. It's just I'm not that upset. It really is. I'm sipping something through a, you know, a, a, I'm sipping some coconut drink right now through a half a pineapple and uh, uh, still not caring. And it's going to be 40 years from now and the Bulls are probably going to be zero titles in and I'm still not going to give a rat's ass because of uh, stuff like this happens every 10 years. Yeah. No, and it was, that's that was why this, the documentary was so much fun. It was, you know, the documentary itself was pretty good. I enjoyed it. But it was just the excuse to immerse well we needed it because we, what else are we going to do but it's used to immerse yourself back in you know a pretty incredible time to be a Chicago sports fan and um, you know it was so that I it was nice to have that respite so we kind of everybody kind of grabbed onto it with both hands and just in red it was like that then and it felt it, it just at the time it's just like this is just too made for TV it was just with the flu game, but it's not a flu game. This is like the worst flu he's ever had. And like the mailman thing that they completely ignored. All this stuff that was just lame Hollywood stuff tossed in there. Oh, forgot about Rodman for a week and a half. Yeah. Like I don't, everyone I've talked to that was around has, does not, rem, they remember it, but they just don't give a rat's ass about Rodman doing that trip to Auburn Hills to do wrestle. I don't know anything about wrestling. And I, I just didn't. I think we just didn't care anymore. Yeah. That's no, just what was, he did. It just seemed like, oh, that's what Dennis is up to now. That'll, oh, yeah. will he be back in time for the game? Yes. All right. Well, that's probably yeah. fine then. Yeah, I don't remember it either. It's, actually, it's one of those things that I only remembered it when I saw it. Like, oh, that's right. Even that happened too. 
somewhere back here in the recesses of my brain and um and who knows <laughs> given the way given the way uh uh, the guy who put the documentary together did it. Maybe that happened um, three years before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, this fits better. This fits better in uh, 98. So let's just move yeah. this. John Lucas was really upset. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've hashed it as, as best we can. Uh, that Scott Burrell thing is incredible. It's just... Uh, read, yep. this, read, read, read Pointless Exercise. Uh, people that are just stumbling into this through their search engine, through their Alti Vista. Oh my God, I got uh, so good. Yep. Now I, I'm 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 upset that it took me this long to think about it because I could have been. Who knows how many uh, talk shows I could have popped on the last two weeks saying, well, psychologically, the reason the reason Michael was so upset at Scotty Burrell was because Scotty was a better baseball player than him, and they'd be like, oh my God, we've got to we've got to book this guy. But I didn't do it. I didn't think about it till too late. If it gets out there, you know what's going to happen is there is going to be some interaction with them two in a cage. And because Scott Burrell is Scott Burrell, he's going to like warm up for a week beforehand, maybe. And because Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan, he's going to, is Walt Herniak still alive? He's going to bring him back <laughs> and prepare for it. And we're just, it's going to be on the next round of pandemic. We're going to see Michael Jordan just destroying Scott Burrell in the cage. And, uh, you know, again, he'll have earned it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. All right, well, Kelly, thanks. Um, so everybody, you can subscribe to uh, Kelly's newsletter at tsa.substack.com. And then while you're there, you might as well subscribe to mine at pointlessexercise.substack.com. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And um, one of these days, hopefully, there will be real games that get played again, and we can talk about those. In the meantime, I'm just going to be uh, uh, searching on YouTube for May Baseball 1984, 85, 86, or 87. And, uh, you know, I'm fine with that for now. All right. I get some good Larry Boa time in. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, no t- there's no Larry Boa time. That's not good, Larry Boa time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kelly. No problem. Take care, everyone.